This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, uh, Dr. Bruno da Costa. Welcome, Bruno. Hi, Oli. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, great to have you. So we have quite many subjects to discuss, but should we start about talking the environment and, and context in physical activity, sedentary behavior and, and sleep research? Yeah, I've tried to organize something to say a little bit more broad, but it is it is very hard because it basically encompasses everything. Like when you talk about environment and this other contextual information, it's very broad. You know, if you say about the house where you're in, like the physical form of the house, the family context, uh, the city where you're in, the neighborhood, the country, everything plays a little role in helping you engage or not engage in any given behavior like there's plenty of studies um, both theoretical and practical showing like interplays of these contexts into like facilitating physical activity or facilitating sedentary behavior and sleep as well the problem is it is very hard right now to get an understanding of how the different indicators the different measures that we can have of context, they actually interact and together help people achieve healthy behavior. So the same time that you have like these studies comparing policies, guidelines between countries and how they are implemented by different agents of these countries, like how the health systems are different, how like public spaces are organized, how densities is, even inequality, like the different gene indexes of countries, those studies hardly talk to the same studies that analyze like diets between mother and child engaging in physical activity together or watching television together or sharing meals together like the role modeling part the social support part the support from siblings and these studies either they are like very nuclear in centered in the family or a person a child or if they are like centered in a country, a community, what happens because of that focus? We usually don't see reports of the other environmental characteristics, the other contextual information that are not the focus of the study. And at first, okay, that bothered me a lot reading the articles, and it's okay because, you know, there's only so much room and that information usually does not help readers or researchers because it's not structured, objectively measured, or you know, it doesn't have a role in the analytical approach of the study. But after I came from Brazil to Canada and started seeing like how these differences take part into like every level of living, uh, I started paying more attention to it, both like in the, my anecdotal living experiences, but both in articles as well. So I'll give you a personal example, like biking here in canada it's a lot safer than where i biked back in brazil the context is a lot better like traffic a little bit slower uh, there's less people around there aren't as many motorbikes there's usually more space 
on the other hand, there's winter. <laughs> I can't bike all year round. So there are other differences. And what makes me bike here is different from what makes me bike there. The, the barriers to do that are completely different. And you see that in a couple of articles. People measure, for example, the motivation, the facilitators, like bikeability of environments. But then like those same articles usually don't analyze what the individual factors are. Like, are those families, did the parents teach the children to bike? Do they bike to, like, do they need to bike? What are the options for them to come to school other than biking? So all these, like, small contextual differences, they sometimes mean so much in determining how easy it is to adopt a healthier, more active lifestyle and how hard it is. But there's always a missing piece. And the challenge of measuring all of that is something that we need to overcome. Uh, At the same time, we can't take each individual and take them for like four hours questionnaires, asking them everything about their lives. Or like, you know, we we can have them wear wearables and get like time-stamped activities. We can have them wear GPS so we know like how much they moved around. We can have uh, even network analysis trying to like know who they do things with and who do they don't do things with. But it is very hard when every single one of these studies are done separately from the others. And if we measure everything together, then we have a problem because we won't have a sample size good enough to <laughs> analyze all these different patterns that uh, manifest like in maybe the thousands. You know, no single person is exactly the same as the other. So we really need so much information to actually begin to understand how these different contextual informations um, help determine behavior. And the other part is that all of this also have an interplay with individual factors. These individual factors, like uh, the affective response, the cognitive response, they, they're so hard to measure. First of all, we all need to, when we create a questionnaire for motivation for exercise. Like it is very hard to measure how good it is. There are several psychometrics uh, tests that we can use, of course, but from the theoretical perspective, there might always be something that could be there or could not be there. And maybe that is good for a certain very specific population, but it's not for others. Maybe it's very good for college athletes, but it might not be good for high school athletes. And it is also very hard to compare. Then we adjusted that questionnaire for the other population, and we don't know anymore if they are comparable. What we cannot determine is like how much the interplay of these contexts, where they are, and with these individual characteristics, how they both work together. Well, it may be possible to do, <laughs> but it is very hard to, to get very high quality answers for those questions. And that may be what we need to actually create interventions and policies to change. Of course, we can observe successes with more parks, more school infrastructure for children to play. But again, we need to understand which infrastructure we need for each specific profile. Children that are in different steps of behavior change. Perhaps they don't like soccer, but soccer is all that is in their school or their environment. What can we do to, you know, we need to offer more activities, we need to make it easy, or we need, like, it is hard to know, like, 
get a good grip of all these contextual information that are needed for actual long-term behavior change. Yeah, I, I, I can clearly see your point that the environment and context, those are overlooked most of the time and it might be difficult to understand when you have been living in certain type of country that how is the how is other country, how is maybe the poorer neighborhoods or or so on. So I, I really see that that's that's important. And you mentioned about measuring and the challenge of of the the workload of measuring. Can you see any any technological advancements that we could do for example with the gps we would know where they are on the map and maybe we could classify different regions for cyclability for safety or maybe we could get that data from somewhere else maybe maybe cities have some records of crimes and you could then have the safety without needing to measure it yourself what technologies or information we would need that we could get this scalable data of, of context or environment. Yes, they're they're like definitely amazing research being done about like even measuring how walkable or like livable a region is based on GPS data trained with machine learning techniques. So that can already help facilitate uh, at least indicating a little bit how specific regions are more, you know, promoters of physical activity, facilitators of physical activity, or they like are, there's lots of barriers to being physically active there. But the integration of these different measurements is definitely a challenge. Both from the theoretical perspective, you know, moving for example with with an accelerometer, it is very hard still it was promised that accelerometers would help us a lot with this measurement of physical activity and they actually have. They are probably the best thing around for the epidemiological studies, but the analytical approaches either are very hard to implement with, you know, uh, machine learning, deep learning, they're very like, they require a lot of technical expertise. You know, you need a data engineer in your team. You need somebody that really understands that analytical approach, lots of computer power, like to create a model that can be applied to your population. And it's sometimes it's very hard to get a team on that scale. And on the other hand, the easiest approaches usually are equations or cut points for acceleration. And the validation studies, sometimes they are not very good as well. So we have like reviews of, I don't know, probably by the dozens of equations for, for example, Actigraph uh, acceleration or counts. And it's it's really hard to say which ones are the best ones or the most, you know, easy to use ones. So it's really a balance of like, is this good enough for my study? Do I have a team or funding enough to get the next best thing up? It is really hard. And then if you scale that GPS data and, you know, get a machine learning technique to tell how walkable any neighborhood is over time, because those also change, that requires a lot of manpower. Yes, probably that will eventually happen if we put lots of effort into it. But it is very hard to, you know, see it happening without like this huge amount of manpower and study. There are several new like studies that could use like um, wearable data from the commercial wearables 
or even uh, data from smartphones that now everybody has. But then we have another problem that is conflicting with the companies that own that data, for example, Fitbit, Garmin, um, Apple. So I'll give the example of Fitbit. If you want Fitbit data, you can replace an API on their developer website, and then you can retrieve data from their dashboard. To get summary data, that's relatively easy. And if you want to get your own personal data, that's even easier. But for researchers that want timestamped data, there is a process that you need to go through. And then you need to develop like a program or a coder, a system to retrieve that data and organize the database for you with the data from each participant. And again, the next problem is that there is a black box there because you don't know how those measures that you're now requesting for them were calculated. So you won't have the raw acceleration that you would have with actigraphs, activities, or genectives. And we'll have a measurement of energy expenditure, you have a heart rate, you have uh, the moderate minutes of physical activity. But again, you don't know how that was calculated. So those are lots of steps that sometimes are technical barriers for teams of researchers in the physical activity field. And in the end, you don't actually know what is the data that you're actually analyzing. You don't know what, how those minutes for that participant in that particular day actually mean. And that has been a problem faced by researchers in quite a while with accelerometers, since like the activity counts that are, you know, like a mystery for a while. And sorry, I completely deviated from the topic. I think technology will play a role in helping us integrating the measures of the individual and the measures of the smaller and broader context where they are. But for this, we'll need research teams that have people from other fields as well. For most sedentary behavior and physical activity researchers, collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project, especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time, causes unnecessary stress and hassle, and can easily derail progress of your project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data. Introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian Sense Motion is a cutting edge, next generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw 3-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com. That is S-E-N-S dot Fibian, created by researchers for researchers. Yeah, and when you said about machine learning and, and needing, needing a lot of calculation power to study, for example, how walkable some region is, could you explain a little bit What's, what's, for example, one way of defining walkability of a region? How do you do it? Well, you can have, uh, there are different like scales to measure walkability, but basically they will get measures of like how, the, how dense it is and how like 
infrastructures that are available, how the land is used, if it's both residential or commercial, if like somebody can leave their house and easily get something done there, safe and open space. So if we have a simple organized scale to measure walkability and you measure, you know, two, three cities with people going there looking, okay, in this radius of two kilometers, you can do this, this, this walking. It's not dangerous. There's light. Um, there are bike paths. Um, there are, you know, parking spots. They're like, you can use that and compare it to GPS data. So you get like all those metrics and train it like with image recognition, similar to what they do with X-rays, for example. And then you can train your model okay, if this image has those features, it will try to predict those features on different images. So if you have enough data to train it, you could possibly like create a model that will then measure the different uh, other cities or other neighborhoods without you having to go there and measure it yourself because it also requires lots of manpower to do it by hand. Mm. Could you do it maybe in a different way that you would have a proxy that let's say that maybe something is drivable for a car if there's a lot of cars like or something is walkable if there's a lot of people walking and in a in a way could you maybe get some data from from google maps or something how many people are navigating with the walking mode on or with the cycling mode on and that could give maybe rough estimate of of cyclability or walkability but i think it would probably relate quite closely at least the cyclability that if there's 5000 people going in the city navigating with the bike it's probably quite cyclable uh, part of the city that is very that's very smart yeah i have no idea <laughs> if anyone has tried that yet no, i have I haven't read anything about it, but I suppose it could work. Like even you might need to balance for like density, you know, like, uh, a city that has millions of people more likely to be 5,000 people walking around than a city with 100,000 people. Um, even if the infrastructure is not as great. Uh, but yeah, I suppose that could be a good indicator that like, you know, if most people prefer to walk there, there's probably, it is probably more walkable than a place where no one wants to walk. Yeah could be something yeah and I'm, I'm i'm thinking also the covid covid tracking apps that were 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 being used that they are using the bluetooth to see who's who's close to you so something similar could be maybe used that it just sees that if you go for a run the accelerometer data is recording that you're running and then your bluetooth could kind of scope that is there somebody all the time in i don't know five meter radius going with you Probably it's it's your running partner if if there's somebody for the whole half an hour the same amount of people around you could put the the, the accelerometer on your dog it's gonna be walking with you all the time yeah that's that's true yeah that would be like um, for example a great way to analyze implementation of different parks or different like you know a city just made a new bike path that would be a great to measure if that, the impact of that bike path in the actual mobility, if you can check how many people are actually using that new space compared like to how it was before it was implemented. And I have no idea if that has been done before, but that uh, sounds like a, a great way to, to measure it, like the impact it has on people's physical activity. Yeah. 
yeah, with with COVID, like the technologies that were developed during COVID for like tracing and those are like they were developed so fast and implemented so well, like in the public health perspective. Um, it would be awesome to like translate that to actually promoting physical activity and sedentary behavior as well. Sometimes we, you know, like have this aversion of like using the phone for a couple of things because, you know, it's we usually don't use our phones for <laughs> the best things <laughs> in general, but uh, this is a good way of using it like for to promote physical activity or at least uh, check how things are going, like an implementation of a policy or intervention. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.